say uh, thank you unless you get arrested. That's kind of the deal, you know. So, <laughs> I've been arrested once. So, almost got arrested a second time recently in North Carolina. I was giving away stamps. Is this on? Is it working? No. Okay. Think. Um, can you hear it? Okay. Pull it down like this, like that. I feel like a newscast, kind of network news. But we are giving out stamps at a uh, in front of a post office on my birthday in November of uh, last year, and uh, we were in, in front of a post office in somewhere in North Carolina. Where, where is uh, uh, the basketball player, Michael Jordan? Where is he from? Somewhere in Chapel Hill. Is it Chapel Hill? Okay. We were there, anyway, and uh, we were giving out stamps, and uh, uh, we had a bunch of different projects, and uh, these, it was a pastor's conference, and uh, so we, our idea was to give out stamps, and I said, don't get more than about three or four people out there. They had about 12, which is a big no-no, and uh, attracted attention, and then these uh, postal uh, guys come out with their handcuffs and their spray, and, uh, and they said, you know, what are you guys doing here? Are, are those counterfeit stamps? And I said, uh, I didn't know you could have counterfeit stamps. And he said, well, you can't just give them out. That looks very suspicious. And I, I said, you know, I could see it now, you know, pastors arrested for counterfeit stamps, you know, on USA Today. And I said, would you please arrest me first because it's my birthday. I'd really like that, actually. And they have these wrap-around sunglasses like the Blues Brothers kind of thing. And I'm a little rebellious. Anyway, I thought it was kind of fun. But, uh, so they didn't think it was very funny. But uh, I thought it was kind of a kick. But. You guys aren't laughing, so you're kind of afraid now. You don't want to ever do that. But uh, I want to talk tonight about what I call the three conversions. And uh, I've never given this message, and it could be full of heresy. So if you, it doesn't work out very well, just blame um, Glenn. So uh, you're not laughing very much in that one either. So you're wondering if I'm... But I, I, um, what I want to talk about, I, I think that the Christian life has actually not one conversion to Christ, but actually three, in a sense. Um, I came to the Lord in college, way back in the day, before most of you were even born, perhaps. I know I look much younger than that, but uh, I'm actually older than I look. Uh, and uh, I was, uh, had kind of an interesting conversion. I was uh, a, a, an exchange student uh, with a program that sent you to different uh, countries. I could have gone to like 60 different countries. They kind of match you up with a family, and then you go to, to college for a year in a different country. You, you immerse yourself in a foreign language and then you learn the language by living out the, the culture. And so they sent me, I was living near Phoenix at the time, they sent me to northern Norway, where it's dark four months a year. And so get the contrast there, you've got to appreciate the, the humor in the whole thing. And um, so I, I got there and I was, you know, into uh, reading a lot. I'm a reader, I read uh, sometimes a couple books a week. I've been doing that for years. And uh, somebody sent me a Good News for Modern Man. That was kind of the translation of the day. The, the stick figures, anybody ever seen this thing? And uh, I thought, why not read the Bible once in your life to say you've read it? You know, it's full of all sorts of fairy tales, whatever. And I, I read it and uh, got to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, got there, and then I began to read it and then reread it and reread it and reread it and reread it. It was kind of a skip in the record. Number nine, number nine, number nine, the white album, okay. And play it backwards, Paul is dead, Paul is dead, Paul is dead. Anyway, and so I, I, I began to uh, just get stuck at John and uh, began to fall in love with Jesus and then got to Romans, skipped over Acts, it sounded kind of boring to me, but uh, got to, to John, uh, to, to Romans and made it to chapter 8 and I realized that I really needed to accept Christ and uh, really felt a, a sense of brokenness, uh, accepted Christ on my own, didn't know what to pray. I prayed my own humspun sinner's prayer, if you want to call it that. 
I said, well, God, here I am, which is kind of a cool prayer, I think. I hadn't read the Old Testament where people pray that quite a bit, actually. So it was kind of an interesting thing. Later on, when I read that in Isaiah and uh, other places where the prophets pray that quite a bit, I thought, you know, they copied my prayer. What's that all about? But uh, anyway, so that was kind of fun. I don't know what it is when I talk, I get thirsty, but uh, kind of weird. But anyway, um, so I, I had a, a conversion, but I really think that uh, today's culture of the church, we don't like to use the, the C word very often. We like to use other words to describe it. It sounds kind of harsh. We don't, we don't use words like lost to describe people that don't know Christ. We say things like uh, non-Christian or even uh, you know pre-Christian, or if you're a part of that whole culture of the of the 90s, uh, we would say things like, um, what was the word that was, was happening back then? Things like um, uh, unchurched, for example. But let's face it, the, the Bible calls them lost. And, and there's a need for what the Bible calls a conversion. People doing a 180, you know, realizing they're going to hell in a handbasket, to quote uh, the Grateful Dead. But they're not enjoying the ride. That's another part of the Grateful Dead. You don't know who they are, apparently. But uh, there's a whole XM station, just the Grateful Dead, 24 hours a day on XM, which I tend to tune into. Uh, at least uh, Janie does mostly. I just listen over her shoulder. But uh, okay. But uh, anyway, um, uh, so the, the, the you need to do a, a conversion going from here to over here. But I, I really think there's three conversions. I think there's a an initial, a secondary, and a third conversion that goes on in the in the Christian life to really be soundly converted. Let me just look through a few of these. I want to read you a little bit of scripture from Acts chapter 10. We don't have any things on the screen here today, so I apologize. But uh, uh, you might have a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible, then you can just listen to me. How's that? Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, in Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, or as John Wimber would say, Corny. That's what his friends would call him. John Wimber was a guy in the vineyard. Okay, so please don't get that who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man who was, as was everyone in his household, he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he, was, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared back at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked an angel, and the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Let's stop right there. I think that he had the first conversion right there. And it's interesting, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon he was praying. I, I read that for years, and I thought, well, well, you know, what's the big deal at 3 o'clock? You know, it's after 2.45 and before 3.15 when the news changes and whatever, you know. So um, he's probably, you know, flipping channels, and why not pray at 3 o'clock? I don't know. But um, he's, what he's doing here, he's, he's a Gentile, and uh, he's, he's copying the, the prayer schedule of the temple, you get the point here. He's actually a guy who's trying to he's trying to replicate what these really religious people do. They won't let him in the temple, so he does it at home. You get the point here. Kind of interesting. He's a guy who says, "Well, I, they won't let me into their temple, so I have my own cotton picking temple at my house." How's that? You know, he, if he was a Catholic, he would have candles and you know the Virgin Mary over here, and maybe Jesus with the uh, felt rug on the corner with the heart open. You know, okay, you haven't seen those before. They have them in Southern California, but. Uh, Anyway, at, at little, you know, corners, and you can buy them. So, but uh, anyway, he had his own temple at home, and he was seeking God and doing all sorts of uh, things to show that he really had a desire to seek God. 
And, and it's interesting, this, this whole description of him is so powerful that um, he was a man who was, I love this verse too, he was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. It sounds like he was evangelizing his household already. You get the point here. Uh, he gave generously to the poor. Was he saved? As a friend of mine says, he may not have been saved, but that'll do until saving comes up. Until he gets around to getting saved, that was pretty good. You know, and, and prayed regularly to God. See, I think that the Lord was looking at this guy, and he goes, this guy is broken, he's humble, he's available, he's got the whole nine yards going on. There's just a few details he doesn't quite get yet. But he's pretty much on his way toward coming to Christ. The first conversion, as I look at it, is a conversion of the heart to God. Conversion of the heart to God. It's a conversion of brokenness, of humility, of a person who is pliable in the hands of God. Um, Charles Finney was a, uh, a renowned evangelist of the, about the mid-1800s. Some people uh, that have analyzed uh, church history as well as more uh, American history believe that Charles Finney was personally responsible because of the power of his preaching for stirring up the Civil War. That's how powerful he was. He was an anti-slavery guy was uh, really at his apex of preaching in about 1860. And the Civil War started in 1861, if you know the little bit of Civil War history. Um, and so they, they kind of blame him partly for stirring up the, the, the whole fervor against slavery in, in the 1861 approximately. But you know what Charles Finney did? He would come to town for five days and he'd preach. On the sixth day, he would take a, a Sabbath. He would travel, rather. On the seventh day, he would, he would rest for the Sabbath. Interesting guy. And he would... Uh, um, he would preach for four days of his five days in a row about repentance. You need to turn to Christ. You need to give up your old ways and, and devote yourself to following Christ. The first night, it would be so penetrating. People would come forward to receive Christ. And he says, what are you doing? It's not Thursday yet. Go back to your seats. It was, it was, it was powerful. And so he was so con- convincing that people would be sitting back on the... He, he was the first guy that had what was called an altar call. He was the guy that, that um, pioneered the whole idea of an altar call. But he would wait until the, the Friday night to do the altar call. And they'd be begging him, please let us come forward. No, not until Friday night. Don't you know the schedule? You know, and so forth. But uh, Charles Finney was like that. And he's a type of John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist comes along and he does this whole thing. What was his whole thing? It was repentance, coming to Christ. And then a big part of it was, what was the manifestation of that? Treating people, how? Differently. It was the repentance of the mind and, you know, thinking good thoughts. And, you know, I think I'll just, you know, have a different radio station I turn into, I'll turn to the Christian radio station. You know, no, I, I think it's all about treating people differently. You get the point here. I used to do this, I used to do that, I used to rip people off. He says, no, you know, treat them rightly. Treat them with respect. Show honor to people. Don't rip them off. If you're a tax collector, begin to treat them differently. If you're a, a guy in the army, don't uh, take uh, advantage of them. And on it goes. And so uh, he was really doing what John the Baptist did. He was causing people to turn away from their, their sinful ways. And it wasn't really salvation yet. You get the point of John the Baptist. It was getting ready for Christ. So here's what I think. I got this, this thought. And I think this is really solid if you want to just put it in your hopper and let it roll around there. Kind of like a lottery hopper. You know, kind of let this roll around there for a day or two. And you can decide if you think it's right or not. But uh, I think that a lot of people come to Christ. They, they, pray, the, they pray the prayer. They, they raise their hand. They, they come forward. They tear the card or however they want to express faith and they haven't really had their heart worked on yet does that make sense to anybody here i see a couple three people 
for the rest of you who think about it. And, uh, and I think most of you are going like this. But uh, uh, what it comes down to is that we haven't really had our hearts broken yet. And so in lieu of having our hearts broken, we ask Christ to come into our lives, haven't really fully repented yet. And so there's a difficult time of God really massaging our hearts. Our hearts are kind of like Play-Doh, whatever you want to get a leaven, or I mean dough rather, just kind of massaging it, getting it right. So if he gets a, a brokenhearted person, he can build on that faith. But it's difficult to add faith without the brokenheartedness. So a lot of people actually come along and they, they add Jesus, but they never get the brokenness. Or maybe 10 years into it, they have a crisis, and then finally they get brokenness. But it's kind of, uh, as my grandma from Texas would say, bass backwards. But she's from Texas. I would never say that in Oregon because that's Oregon people. You know how they are. But so I won't. I don't, I'll never say bass backwards again in Oregon. But uh, treating people differently, and sometimes it takes a while for the the manifestation of that kind of a of living differently to to come to fruition. I've seen this over the years. When you live differently like that, it takes a while for the for the full bloom to come into to um, evidence. Um, I have a, and it, sometimes it's individually that way. Sometimes it, as a church, it's that way. You know, being willing to get the heart of God, and then seeing God really take that heart and do something great with it. And and I think sometimes whole churches go through that. I call it the asparagus effect. Anybody gardeners here have asparagus? You you ever plant asparagus? You know, you know what asparagus does. You, you buy it from burpees or wherever it was. It comes in the mail. Does it come as seeds or does it come as a plant? As seeds. You put it in the ground, you pay for a premium price for hybrid uh, asparagus seeds, and then you watch it very closely. If you're like me, you stare at it, because I'm OCD, and you uh, get a, in fact, you get a time-lapse camera looking at it, and you look at it every week or two to see if it's really doing anything, and then you decide that burpee has ripped you off, because nothing really happens for a whole season, and you decide, I'll never buy another seed from burpee, because they totally ripped me off. They scammed me, in fact. It's the burpee scamming seed company. And you write on the internet, I am totally disturbed at the Burpee Seed Company. And you put a one-star rating instead of a five-star rating that other people put on there, kind of thing. And on it goes, because this is the 21st century. You get the idea. And uh, so um, uh, the second year goes by, nothing happens. This third year, on it goes and on it goes. How long does it take for an asparagus plant, if it's ever going to come up, to come up? Most of the species take seven long years to begin to come up. Seven years. Now you would think that that's an eternity if you're really into asparagus. You'll never have a, uh, a salad with asparagus on it or your, your, uh, your whatever kind of eggs you want to have with asparagus. It's, it's a long time. You think that it's died. You've got the, the, uh, the rip-off version of asparagus. But that's just the way that it works. Our, our very best example of a church planter when we were in Ohio, we, uh, we sent out about uh, 18 guys to plant churches. All but one guy did pretty good, actually. And the guy that didn't do very well, he did it the opposite of everything I recommended he do. It was kind of like, go north. He said, thanks, and he went south. And I, I said, do this, and he said, thanks, and he did the opposite. It was kind of the, the, uh, the inversion of everything. But anyway, the, this guy that went up to, to Dayton, I, I said, I don't think you should go to Dayton. I think it's a place to go and die. And he said, I've got to go to Dayton. You know, the Lord has spoken to me, and on it goes. And I said, well, if you've got to go, you've got to go. And he goes up there for seven years. He scratches the ground. There's no fruit. There's no, you know, it's just rock. There's no soil to plant your seed in. And um, he ends up uh, buying groceries to go out and feed people. He, he creates momentum by going after the poor, which I thought was interesting. He spent $10,000 on one of his hidden credit cards 
Yeah, I, I saw a statistic the other day. How many couples hide their finances from their, their spouses? And he was one of those guys. Like 30% of men hide their finances to a degree from their spouses. He said, I had $10,000 in my other credit card my wife didn't know about. And I said, what were you doing with this? I was buying groceries for the poor. Interesting. And uh, he, he uh, <laughs> okay, I think it's kind of funny. But uh, anyway, he uh, ends up giving groceries away to the needy, and on it goes. He had, he had 30 cotton-picking people. What do you do with that? You know, you can't just have a fund, a benevolence fund. It probably had $13 in it, you know, with that many people. And so he ends up um, going after the needy. He creates a, a momentum but the, the 30 became 50 after six years. And he, and he, by the way, showed up one day and said, I feel like I should give you a $10,000 check. I don't know why, but uh, he goes, thank God, my wife didn't find out. And he pays the check, and, and, he, and anyway, it all works out okay. And she finds out later on, she goes, uh, just in time, I would have wrung your neck, you know, kind of thing. But uh, she, she appreciated the whole gesture of it and everything, of course. But ends up in the end that uh, on this six-year and ninth month, um, something significant happened it was it's kind of a long story but they they went from uh, 50 people to about 500 people within 90 days now let me tell you something momentum and numbers don't tell the whole story i i've been a part of, i've grown a lot of churches over the years and i've had 50 people for years on occasion in, in oslo norway jenny and i went there didn't know anybody in oslo jenny didn't even speak the language i speak norwegian conversationally and uh we were there for a long time and had, had to start from scratch went down to mcdonald's and met people and uh went to starbucks and met people and uh, uh on it goes I me mean, from literal scratch in a foreign country and began to meet people and on and on it goes started small groups around oslo and uh, you know very difficult stuff and uh and yet we we got it going and so we know the the trauma of having very small churches very difficult slow starts it was kind of like the uh pygmy asparagus in oslo and uh, so uh, it, it's just difficult to see things going. And so numbers don't always reflect what God is doing. Sometimes small is great. And, and yet uh, sometimes when things are happening, when God is showing up, things really do become large and momentous. And so it, it became five, 600 people within a short time. I said, what was going on? He said, the asparagus took off finally. And I, I think a lot of times what God is doing is a little bit difficult to see on the surface. But when God shows up, it, it pops up. So I, I think it's difficult to discern what God is doing until we just hang in there, until we just stay, um, I, I think, um, as Paul says, don't grow weary in well-doing, but uh, be faithful and see what God does as, as you keep on showing up and don't get off the bicycle and do it. So, again, to make my original point, is I think that God is into converting the heart and staying faithful, staying true, staying accurate, staying humble, and going forward. The second conversion, real quickly, I'm going to speed it up here because... Uh, um, I just down because I feel like it. So the second conversion is, uh, of course, the story goes is that Peter is on the roof. He's uh, kind of uh, praying. He sees this vision of the, uh, the unclean foods coming down. You know the story, perhaps, in, in Acts chapter 10. And God says, you know, rise and eat uh, several times. And, you know, it's about Gentiles coming into the kingdom. You perhaps know the story. And uh, about that time, there's a knock downstairs. He goes, go with the men that are coming to the door. And about the time, there is a knock. And they come to the door, and, and Peter says, uh, you know, he, he goes to, to, the, to the, uh, the guys, and they, they go to the house, and there's these uh, friends of Cornelius gathered together, and he goes there to speak, and, and it's uh, kind of an amazing little uh, talk there. Let me just read a bit of what Cornelius says in verse 30. 
Cornelius replied, four days ago I was praying in my house about the same time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me. He told me, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is standing he is staying in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives near the seashore. So I sent to, for you at once, and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here waiting for God to hear the message the Lord has given you. <laughs> kind of dot, 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 ellipsis. When you see those three dots, it's kind of like, ta-da. You know, what are you going to say now? And uh, Peter swallows hard. You know, Peter's kind of the expert of, uh, of uh, standing up and giving a spontaneous message. He does this all the time in, in the book of Acts. And uh, he's going, well, I was wondering what I had to say here. So I had my iPad as I was walking here, and I kind of put a few thoughts down. He pulls out his iPad 2. It's actually an iPad 1. iPad 2s weren't invented yet, so we had an iPad 1. And I'm sure it was 3G, so he had Wi-Fi reception going on the way there. But uh, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God has given no favoritism, and every nation accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Uh, This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is no peace with God. that There is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. There is preaching conversion through Christ. We know all about that. That, that conversion we do understand very well. I'm, just, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but we, they were converted to following Christ. And as you know the story a little bit, as he talks about what it meant to follow Christ, he, he shares the gospel about the forgiveness of sins. As he says that, the Spirit falls upon the people, and, and they are wonderfully converted. The, the power of the Lord is there, and we know that part of the story. And then... Down in verse, um, well, uh, continuing on, I'm just going to go ahead and and, uh, mention this, and I'll go back and give you a couple of verses. I think the third conversion, which I will explain momentarily here, is the conversion of noticing God is doing in other people. Noticing what God is doing in other people. You you thought I was going to say the the power of the Spirit. I'm going to tell you about that in a second here. I think when you begin to see what the Holy Spirit is doing in other people's lives, I think you're involved in the third conversion. When Jesus in John 5 is walking along, he sees all these people at the Pool of Bethesda. He sees uh, perhaps 100 people gathered there. If you go to the Pool of Bethesda still today, you can see that it is big enough that if people were kind of lying over each other, you know, shoulder to shoulder, leg to leg, and so forth, you'd be able to see that it holds perhaps about 100 people. And Jesus picks the one guy out. He's kind of stepping between people. Excuse me, pardon me, and, and so forth. He goes over to the one guy that the Father was touching. He prays for the one guy a spirit-empowered prayer, and the guy is healed. And as they walk away in John 5, the other guys are saying, what was that all about? I, I only do what I see the Father doing. It's an amazing interplay there. And I, and I think that what Jesus was demonstrating was the third, the ultimate conversion, that he was noticing what the Father was up to. And I think that very often, that because we haven't gone through the, the I think, the steps of, first of all, humbling ourselves, being broken, in the, the baptism of John. Secondly, we haven't really been able to fully, I think, give ourselves over to the conversion of Christ. We have to a degree, but it's been kind of a, I, I think, a, a little bit less than a, a full capacity of giving ourselves to Christ. I mean, I'm not saying we're not saved. I'm not saying that at all. But I think that we've, we've left aspects of it not fulfilled in Christ. Does that make sense to anybody here? It's not as deep as it could be. Therefore, the third conversion is not quite what it could be either. Noticing what God is doing, as, as uh, Wimber himself said, not being able to join with what God is up to, what the Father is up to. And I, I think there's a sense of awakening the spiritual senses being available. I love this one verse. It, I think it nails it very well. 
verse 38, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And I love this last part. Then Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now that's the sound bite you can put on your, your cell phone message machine. I'm not here right now because I'm out uh, doing good to all kinds of people and, and healing those who are oppressed by the devil. Leave a message. That'd be a pretty good message to leave, wouldn't it? But then make sure you're doing it at least part of the time. Then Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. See, he picked up on that whole point of noticing what the Father was up to. Now, where does the Holy Spirit fit in this whole thing? I think the Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit is kind of a, an assumption once you are noticing what the Father is up to. It's kind of like being pipes, and it's not just a little teeny pipe, a little straw, but it's being a, a siphon of the Spirit, being a, uh, a culvert, you know, one of these gigantic pipes. When you are noticing what the Father is up to, God is able to escape and flow through you and go out and touch lots and lots and lots and lots of people. I think if we make the focus the power of the Spirit, I think that is not a worthy focus. He's an assumption that moves through us as we begin to fixate and focus on people that are broken and needy out there. Does that make sense to anybody here? If we make the focus, what is the Father doing? What is he up to? Then, of course, the Spirit will show up, and we will be, we will be pipelines to the Spirit's presence. That's the way I see it. And I think there's something to that. Today, at this Methodist church that I'm leading, I never thought in a million years, by the way, I'd be working with a Methodist church. Go figure. I was uh, starting vineyard churches for over 30 years, started five, which is about far too many, if you ask me. But uh, <laughs> nobody in their right mind would do five churches. But uh, uh, just got to a point uh, about two years ago, almost two years ago, where Janie and I were in Tampa, had, did our, had done our fifth church, and had nowhere to go, really, and, and said in a prayer, you know, God, we are willing to do whatever you're doing. And, you know, we, we had checked high and low for vineyard opportunities and there was literally nothing available and we didn't want to start a sixth church which would be totally you know hairy carry you know basically so uh we had spent uh, a good part of our retirement fund and you know, we said we don't want to live on our our kids couches you know in, in a couple of years here when we retire or whatever well not a couple of years but i'm only 30 come on you know it's, you know but uh uh, so we said, look, whatever can come up about a, a day later, uh, as happenstance would happen, uh, a friend calls. So there's this church near Portland, blah, blah, you know the story. End up showing up here and, uh, in Newburgh. So been there for a year and a half now. Um, so kind of interesting. But uh, it's becoming, uh, is this being taped? Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Okay, but uh, anyway... Um, Cool things are going on. Today we went out and uh, we canceled church. We got together, sang two songs, took an offering, of course. You don't want to not take an offering. Uh, you go to business not doing that. And we went out and we served people. We split up into teams. And uh, I was surprised almost everybody showed up. I, well, I, not everybody. Probably 70% of the people showed up anyway and did uh, different projects. We gave away microwave popcorn, went door to door. You knock on the door, and I showed them how to do it without getting rejected knock on the door, hi, here's your popcorn to show a little bit of God's love. You don't say, would you like some popcorn? Because then they have an option to say, no, thank you, I've got plenty of popcorn. But if you say, here's your popcorn, then they go, well, uh, thank you, I guess. And then you give them a little connect card, we call it. Or we give away light bulbs door to door. And uh, if they said, we have light bulbs already, you say, but these are Christian light bulbs. <laughs> oh, I've never gotten a Christian light bulb my entire life. 
And uh, so we give them a Christian light bulb or two and then with a card. And then um, I went out and we grilled 500 hamburgers and hot dogs, which is very cool. And people had opened their doors. We went to kind of a lower middle class to kind of a herding area of town and um, knock on the door. Here's your hamburgers. Again, you don't want to say, would you like a hamburger? Because they might say, no, thank you. Give it to people that could really use it. And it was amazing. Janie did that too. Did you go out to hamburgers? One of my friends, almost everybody was afraid to go. And I, I just comforted them. I said, you don't, if you don't want to go, you know, you still have to go. <laughs> but stay in the car. You can stay in the car and pray. How's that? You can stay in the car. We don't, we're not going to make you do anything. So these two 80-year-old ladies came with me. And I said, you don't have to go. Just stay in the car and pray. And we got there. They said, man, am I glad I don't have to do anything except stay in the car and pray. And I said, why don't you do just one? It's kind of like Lay's potato chips. Why don't you just try one? They said, oh, okay. And one walks real slow. Her name is B. She was in YWAM, hello, for years. But now she's kind of afraid. She kind of lost all of her courage after YWAM school. She was in Salem. And, uh, okay, Steve, if you ask, okay. Uh, she started acting feeble at that point. You know, I'll do it because she walks like this. And, uh. I get up to the door, and she's standing behind me, and then the other lady was named, uh, what was her name? Gloria. She's back there. She, Gloria forgot to wear her hearing aids. So <laughs> she's back there. And she she, she kind of has a little bit of a speech impediment. She's not wearing her hearing aids. So she's back behind uh, B, and uh, here's your hamburger showing you a little bit of God's love and give her a little connect card, and has my cell phone number on it, by the way. I almost never get called, but it's very powerful to put the pastor's cell phone number on there. It's, it, it, people start crying. I mean, the his number is on here. I mean, he would actually let me call him with my problems. Yep. And so give him the card. And then I, I, I kind of put him on the spot. I said, you know, I, don't, I pray, okay, but these ladies, you wouldn't believe how good they pray. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Steve. When we get done, I'm really going to kill you. I didn't have a knife, but I'll go borrow a knife. I'm going to kill you. And so I bring him up there, and they kind of hobble up there. They give me the, the chicken eye, I call it. You know, the, you know how chickens are? They get the eyes inside of their heads. They go, bonk, 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 bonk. They give me the chicken eye. And so I'm back here doing this. And, and the first prayer they prayed was, I said, pray this prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we bless this house with peace. That's about a three-second prayer. So they prayed that prayer to begin with. And because uh, you have kind of a Catholic prayer. We've heard that on It's a Wonderful Life and stuff like that. You know, anybody's heard that, that prayer. So we get to the second door, and I said, you want to go back to the car? And they said, well, I might go with you in the next, but don't make me pray. And I said, okay. I said, so this is a lace potato chip phenomenon going on here. Get to the second door, and uh, so we, we get there, and uh, um, I said, uh, again, I said, uh, would you like to pray? And they said, uh, well, if you insist. There's a little less resistance this time. And they get up there, and they pray their own humps. I felt like the Lord is saying, and <laughs> they start prophesying over this lady. <laughs> and... and uh, and they're praying in the third door we get to. For, in other words, a short, long story short was they prayed for every single person. I didn't get to pray for anybody. They hogged it, basically. <laughs> they, they took over. Gloria and B, they took over. And all of a sudden, their legs got better. They're kind of strolling up to the door about the <laughs> third place we get to. And uh, one of my friends who uh, was totally afraid to do any of this stuff, he, he was, uh, you know, I can't, I'm, ah, shucks, on the Myers-Briggs test, I'm a total I. I'm an introvert. I can't do this stuff, this you know, I, I, oh, shucks, you know, and you know, find a can to kick or something in the Andy Griffith show, and, you know, I'm kind of a Barney, not a Andy, you know, and uh, so 
he gets to a door about the second door. You know, how many think the Holy Spirit sets things up on occasion for us, just to encourage us a little bit? Gets to the third, third place, and he says to this guy, uh, so can we pray for you for anything? And the guy goes, well, um, hmm. Oh, there's one thing. I'm going to die in three weeks. Well, I guess we could pray for you. How's about that? And he goes, I found out just this week that I've had these pains, and they found uh, all these spots of cancer in my liver, and they figured I got about um, anywhere from three to three and a half weeks. They get real specific on this stuff, these doctors, I tell you what. But uh, they said I have about three to three and a half weeks. And this guy goes, ding dong, you know, the lights go off. Maybe this is the reason I came out today, is to pray for this guy. And he says, uh, well, when you die, do you know what's going to happen to you? And he goes, uh, well, I haven't thought much about it. Maybe you ought to be thinking about it, dude. And uh, so he says, uh, you know what's going to happen when you die? And he goes, well, I've been a pretty good person, you know, a little bad stuff, but, you know, by and large, good. And he has that whole wang thing going on. Well, maybe more bad than good, actually. And he's in there. <laughs> he's actually pretty civil. He's really clear-minded. He doesn't have any pain. Yeah, he's sitting there, you know, smoking a cigarette kind of thing. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> almost doing that kind of thing. And he ends up, um, in the end, he says, well, you know, you can really know for sure. And he goes, really? And he says, well, you know, the Bible, Jesus is super clear in this whole thing, that if you ask him into your life that... Uh, that you are for sure, positively, absolutely going to go to heaven. He goes, no. <laughs> you never read the Bible in his whole life. You know, it's very powerful. This guy comes back at lunch. We had a little, a little, uh, what do you call it? Buffet, not buffet, but what do you call it? Potluck. Thank you. I'm thinking of California words. You know, buffet, sushi, that kind of stuff. But uh, uh, potluck, and and we let people pass the microphone. And this guy broke down. Just isn't that cool? You know, just that's that's worth coming out for. I think. Fun stuff. But um, anyway, I, I really think that uh, as we get to the third conversion, that we begin to see um, what the Father is up to. God sensitizes us. And, uh, and I think even a small thing like showing the kindness of the kingdom is profound. And then we're able to cast out demons. We're able to move in power. We're able to do those simple things. And I think that the, the, the kingdom flows through us. Not a trickle, but as big a pipe as we can allow. I think the older we get, the more mature we become, the bigger the pipe becomes. Does that make sense to anybody here? I, I think out of our fears, out of our desire to control, we begin to put on the pipe as young Christians. After a while, we say, this is too difficult. Let it loose. And we kind of go like this, and, and the, the more it goes out of us. And I, I tell you, I think it's what it's all about. I, a life-changing verse, I'll stop with this, a life-changing verse that I had, I'd read it for years and years and years and years and years. I didn't notice it until just a few years ago, it hit me, Romans chapter 2, the kindness of God leads to repentance. 